copy of God's Word today. Uh, we're going to continue our study in the book of Romans. Uh, today we're going to focus on verse 30. So we have finally made it out of verse 9, 29. And now we have made it to verse 30. We are making progress in the book of Romans. How many of y'all enjoying the book of Romans? We're just working our way through it, walking through the text, and, um, uh, and just enjoying uh, what is the author is conveying to us? What does the author want us to know about this? You know, and you guys learn this in, even in school at a young age. Context is key. Context. Somebody can tell you a story, right? If they don't give the right context, right, the story can be taken out, taken a different way. And so it's always good to understand the context of the passage. And so we've been walking through Rome, and I'm hoping I've been able to convey this content what the author is showing us in this text. And so far we've been learning that the author is teaching us in Romans 8 that God is letting us know no matter what we're going through that we have assurance in Christ. And the words of Gregory King we might not have insurance on our cars but we got assurance in Jesus. <laughs> well, I got insurance y'all so y'all so your kids ride with me and say hold on I got insurance. But what's better than insurance and uh, Geico and the rest of the insurance company is assurance. And Christ will let us know that the assurance, the assurance that we have, the policy would never get canceled. That the policy was already paid in full on the cross, right? It was already paid in full. It would forever be paid in full that we have assurance no matter how we feel. A lot of times we base things on how we feel. I feel this way. I feel this way. But we should base on what God's word says, not on what we feel and what we think things should go. And so we're going to continue today in Romans chapter 8, more about this assurance and assurance. And I pray that by the end of this day, that you can leave this place today further encouraged of what we get in Jesus. Further encouraged of what we really have in Christ. And so when trials come our way in a few moments, or later on this evening or tomorrow at work, whatever the case that come on in life, we can go back and say that, no, what Christ has done for me no one can take that away from me. No one can bring anything against me that can separate me from Christ because of what I have in Christ. Not even my own insecurities. Not only my own flesh that try to doubt the grace and mercy of God. I have this in Christ and no one will take this away. And so I'm praying that, that, that through this message, again, you're further encouraged of what we have in Christ. Let me read God's word starting in verse 26. Again, we're going to focus on verse 30 in Romans chapter 8. It says this in God's word. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Let's say it again. For those who are called in, oh, I'm sorry, what was that, 20, 20, 28, I'm sorry. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, He's also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Uh, verse for today, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he, also, he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, if I just preach that one verse and not have a given context, we can talk about various different things today, about justification and glorification. We can talk about various different things, right? But today we're just going to focus on the first part of this, verse 30, is in those whom he predestined, he also called. Let me pray for us. Ask the Lord to help me, to help you, to help us together to receive his word. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you again for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us, Lord, to be back under your word. Lord, break any areas of our heart, Lord, that is that's trying to hear your word in repetition as legalism. 
it's just here, just to clap, or whatever the case, our heart just, just here and not here for the right reason. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to give us a heart that's here for the right reason. Let our heart be open to hear your word right now. Lord, let us hear these truths. Lord, not just to be able to, to say we heard them, but Lord, let these truths conform our lives. So Lord, let your word bring life into us today. Let us live by your truth today. Lead us by your word today, Lord. Give us life through your word today. Let this just not, Lord, be a day, Lord, that we saying we heard the word and still live the same way. But Lord, let us hear your word, Lord, and our lives be changed today. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to guide us by your truth today. Let us submit to your truth, even though when your truth may be hard, Lord, because we don't want to turn from the flesh. But, Lord, let it be hard to return for the flesh and turn to you. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to help us at this time. Help me. I can preach your word faithfully. That everything I say and everything I do, Lord, be for your glory and your glory alone, Lord. So help me, Lord. Uh, at this time, though I am weak, I'm in need of your help. Such a weighty passage today, Lord. I'm not able to preach this word without your spirit, Lord. So give me your spirit, Lord, to preach this word faithfully. So help me, Lord, as I preach your word, Lord, and your people, Lord, to be able to receive your word. So, Lord, edify your church, Lord, build your church up at this time. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. Amen. Here in these uh, recent days, Almost been two weeks now. Our community here in Palm Bluff have been left devastated. Seeing the death of a young man that was killed, uh, Kendall Burden. He was said to be one of the next and coming future talents to be recruited in football and possibly basketball in this country. A great talented young man that was only in the 10th grade, getting ready to go into the 11th grade next year. And many ask this question all out throughout our community, like, why? Why this young man's life? It's a great young man. Many people have so many great things to say about this young man. One of the most profound things people have said is that this young man actually beat cancer. He beat cancer here. And now, later, he passes away. And many ask the question, then why? Like, Lord, you brought him through cancer, but now he's gone already. Like, why did he go through cancer then? And why did he live through cancer? Many are left with so many questions. Even the coach, Coach Michael Williams, Palmer Pie, he said this. He said he was a great person, both on and off the field. I want people to know about that Kendall was a great young man that was very loving, Williams said. He was not in the streets. He was not that kind of kid. He had, a, he had good grades. He was not hanging with the wrong people. So all the misconceptions about Kendall, that is all untrue. Kendall was a very special kid. He was the type of kid that we love to have. And we cherish the moments and time that we had with him. Hearing about the young man has left many struggling with what to make of this life. This young man, he feel like he did a lot of things right, but he still get taken away from us. Kid is actually doing the right thing. Not the one that's out shooting at people. Not the one that's called him violence, but a young man that wants to be a future football or basketball player. Many ask the question, what more could this young man have done to live longer? So Kendall Life has had many people thinking about, is this life truly guaranteed? What's guaranteed about this life? And if you're here today as a believer, and you're asking this question, if you're asking this question, what's guaranteed about life, this young man that, that was taken away Nice young man. Many may be perplexed and, uh, and perplexed and confused what to make of this life. So let me encourage you that it is something that you can be guaranteed of. 
that the gospel that we receive is the same gospel that we're saved by and the same gospel that would keep us. This is what Paul is getting at here in this first chapter of Romans. That the gospel does more than just save us, but the gospel what keeps us, even when we see a young man that was taken away from us, and we ask the question like, what is guaranteed in this life? One thing we can truly say, what is truly guaranteed in this life is the good news of Christ Jesus, that the gospel saves and the gospel keeps. When the world fails you, when the world doesn't give you what you want, at different terms, you can rest assured that the gospel will never fail you. That the gospel would assure you that everything that's happened in this life towards a Christian, around a Christian, but used to conform the Christian to the image of his son, even in the midst of losing his loved one. And we see situation like this young man life taken away we look at God and say God we know that through all this as a believer you're conforming us to the image of his son your son you're making us more like Jesus even when we don't understand We know this is what happened in Romans chapter 8, that God had did so many things so we won't ever have any doubt of his sovereign hands in our lives. The whole chapter of Romans 8, any excuse we may try to think of in our own head that God doesn't love us, that God has left us, that we are condemned, all these things we might be thinking about each ourselves, we can read Romans 8 and we can see what God's word, word says to us. That God's sovereign hands, even though we can't see his hands right now in this room, his hands is on his people. And that's why it says in Romans 8, 1, that he won't condemn us. He says in Romans 8, 3, and 4 that Christ met the righteous requirements of the law, that we are to live a life of perfection to never sin, but we have sinned, but Christ has met the requirements of the law for us so we can be made right with the Father. So Christ's hands is all on us. That we won't be condemned, that Christ has met the demands of the Father. To make it to heaven, you got to be perfect. Jesus said, I did it for them already. Everything they need to do to get to heaven, I did it for them. I mean, ultimately, he did it for the Father, right? The ultimate purpose for the Father. But Christ has did what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live the perfect, righteous life without sin. And Jesus came and did it for us. The only thing we own, own not the only thing we get. We say it right there in verse 6. It's, I mean, in verse 6, we say, it's always a better solution than the flesh. That is the only solution against the flesh is the spirit. That we get the spirit in us as believers. We learn in chapter 8. How do we know we have assurance? We have the spirit in us. And what does the spirit do? The spirit does many things here. The spirit dwells in us. The spirit gives us life and gives us peace daily in verses 10 and 11. Another thing the spirit do, the spirit leads us in verse 14. We see that. The Spirit leads us. If you follow me in Romans 8, you can be putting your hand on these things. How we're led by the Spirit in verse 14. Verses 14 and 17. It calls us sons of God. Because we have been adopted by the Father in heaven. I never went to Walmart and saw a little kid walking around and said, that's my son. Huh, that's my daughter. I personally was like, what is going on? That ain't your child. But the Father said, we are his sons. And we are his daughters. What a special privilege that we have. Everybody don't get this. We get this special calling. And not only that, how we know we get this special calling? If I was a son of Leon Jackson, I'd get an inheritance out there on the road of Suffer Springs. I'd get an inheritance, a big inheritance. By being sons of God, we get an inheritance. Better than Suffer Springs Road. Better than what Palm, better than Arrowhead Road, better than Pine Hill Drive, 
better than lilac. And then everybody rolls under. But we get something so special, y'all. We get an inheritance that's, uh, that God is making up in heaven. He goes to prepare a place. Right? He goes to prepare a place to bring us there one day. And we get so many things in heritage. We are heirs of all the promises we get in God. We get God forevermore. Y'all see this in the scripture. He said we are heirs. Look at verse 17. 16 and 17. By children we will suffer because Christ suffered. For those that suffer by resisting the flesh, they will be glorified. What's the special thing about glorified? Because Christ is glorified. We get to be glorified. We get to be glorified with Christ. All the creation is waiting on us to be glorified so God's kingdom will be fully realized. So how do we know this is going to happen? Because God decreed our salvation in eternity past. It was God's will. That's why we learned that he foreknown us. That he loved us before the foundation of the world. He had an intimate relationship with us. He already had a relationship before we were born. The Father has already bestowed his love on us. Not that the father looked down the road and said, well, Zoe is going to help the old lady across the street, so I'm going to save him in the future. No, he loved us when Zoe was in sin, when Christ was in sin. He loved us. It was said in Romans 5, 8. We were dead and not sin and trespassed, but Christ, what? he loved us that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. He loved us in our sin. He didn't, so I love us when we get it all, I'm going to get all our stuff together, and now I'm going to love you. Just like a parent. Right? A, a mother birthing out the child. A mother's going to love that child. She's not going to say, well, I'm going to wait till the child loves me. I'm going to wait till the child get up and walk and whatever the case. Then I'm going to start loving the child. A mother loves that child despite that child waking her up at 3 in the morning. She might be a little irritated, right? But she's still going to love that child with an unconditional love. Why did God give us that? Again, God allowed even a mother to see the beauty of the essence of, the, of, of our God, our Father in heaven. He loved us when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. Not that we did anything, well, God chose me because I did this. Well, I did this right. God picked me because I did this. And God saved me because I did this. You was dead. How can a dead person choose anything? How can a dead person do anything? Again, I have done many funerals. I have never seen a dead person get out the casket. So a dead person cannot choose the things of God. Only when God gives a dead person life. When a God brings a dead person to life. And so we see God foreknown us and God has set us and predestined us. Put a boundary and put a, a, put a, a goal before us and what he wants us to be. And now today we're going to learn now about another word. We learned that he foreknew us. We knew he predestined us. Now we're going to learn he called us. He called us. So let's jump to point number one. We're going to do it in three points. Let me share the three points. God called us despite our brokenness. What does it mean for God's calling on calling us? The reason why God called us despite our brokenness. So let's jump right in to point number one. God called us despite our brokenness. And those whom he predestined, he also called. We have been given proof of God's gracious hand in our salvation. His hand has been working before we were born, but also his hand is working now. God, for knowing predestined us, show us that God will complete what he set out to complete in us. That's why God already said it. He foreknew us. And he predestined us for God to complete the very task he set out to complete in us. Because you can't do it. You weren't going to complete the task. I wasn't going to complete the task. No matter how much Jerry come to church and Jerry try to sing and try to pray, Jerry cannot do it apart from God. So what God did, God predestined, God loved us, predestined and did these things. So his goal can be accomplished in our lives. And Paul is wanting us to really embrace and accept this truth. 
Because when we start to interpret God's plan for us based upon our circumstances, we lose sight on what God is doing. A lot of times, we determine what God wants for us on what we experience in life. Ha! I cut my son's hair. Well, God had called me now to be a barber. Oh, well, I have to sit. Well, God has called me to be a nurse. On which of all those things you might just be in life? Nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with being a barber, a nurse, and to call this and that. But one thing we guarantee, though, is that as believers, no matter what profession we do in life, as believers, we all are called for the one particular unique purpose for God's glory. Everything we do is for God's glory. If I'm loving my wife, apart from God's glory, I have made an idol out of my wife. I love my wife to death. If I go to work for the rats and rats and rats, is that what y'all still call? Yeah. Bad. If I go to work for the bad, all this money, it is not for God's glory, I have made an idol out of work. If I've had a lot of children, right? And it's all for me, 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 and not for God's glory, I have made an idol out of them. Everything we do and not in this world should be for God's glory and God's glory alone. It's for God to be praised, for him to be glorified, for us to see him better. By me having a beautiful wife and beautiful kids, being able to pastor, all these things should play a role for me to glorify God more and more and more and more. Again, when we interpret God's plan based upon our circumstances, we at times lose sight on what God is doing. We then get swallowed up in our circumstances and forget what God's ultimate goal is in life. Today our test also encourages us more in what God is continuing to do in the life of the believer. And those, oh, those are the ones he predestined we talked about here in 29. He also called. Paul uses predestined in verse 29, and now he uses the, again the word predestined in verse 30. In 29, Paul uses predestined to let us know how God is conforming us to the image of Jesus. When I say Jesus, he's not getting us a haircut like Jesus. We're not getting our nose like Jesus. Our skin like Jesus. No, that's not what he's talking about, the image of Jesus. It's talking about the character of Jesus. The heart what Jesus had, to have Jesus' heart. So God is conforming us. He had predestined us from eternity past. Before you was born, God has already had a plan and put in place for you to look like Jesus. So those hard times you're going to go through right now, the certain job, them co-workers y'all get, don't say their names out loud. Them bosses and managers and all those things you got going on at work, God had put all those things in place for you to see who you really are, to see you're impatient, to see you're not long-suffering, to see that you want things your way. God is showing you that, hey, if you're going to be more like Jesus, I'm going to let you go through these things, and I'm going to chip those things away. Then eventually, I'm gonna, you're going to be able to see that masterpiece. And that was Shalene. It's Shalene and KB. KB. Okay. The masterpiece. This masterpiece God is creating. So 29 talks about how God is conforming and predestined us to conform to Jesus. Well, now we see in verse 30, predestined to let us know how God saves us. This is a call. This is called the order of salutis. Everybody say order of salutis. That's Latin, so y'all can go on the rest of this week and tell people you know some Latin. That means order of salvation. It means order of salvation. Um, but then, you know, uh, for the most part, we see um, the order of salvation. We see God elect us, the gospel call, regeneration, conversion, justification, adopting, sanctification, perseverance, glorification. You're like, Chris, what are you talking about? But God elected us. God chose us. Again, it's all God doing. We see this in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Ephesians 1, 3-4. It's a chart you can go online. 
one of the charts I favor to see already, where you put an order of salvation, and it show you kind of how the, the the order, how God has saved, and then again we try to systematize everything. But God chose us before the foundation of the world. But we don't know we chose. We don't know it, right? But we hear the gospel. We hear Mr. Greg or somebody share the gospel with us. The next thing you know, we respond to the gospel. Then we're, we regenerate. Then we understand, okay, God chose me. God elected me. You might not understand all those certain things. Then it comes to our conversion. Should we regeneration and conversion and justification? All those things kind of happen all together. How Christ has justified us. Christ bore our sins on the cross. Then he adopts us, brings us to himself. Then he sanctifies us through sanctification. Then he, we persevere through this life. Persevere through hard times, making them more like Jesus. And the end goal of all this, it comes to glorification. So since God has already put in place how he was going to save us. So this predestination now, it gets in here that this is what God has done for us. God has saved us. We should not feel discouraged when things doesn't go as planned because God has saved us and not only saved us, he continually saving us. What I mean by continually saving us is that the flesh, right? The flesh still try to run away from God, but God continually drawing us back by his spirit. He continually doing the work of saving us. He has truly saved us, right? We're in Christ, but he is truly keeping us from choosing the things of the flesh. So the aspect what we're dealing with here in our debt says today is it's dealing with of God is saving his people. And let me say this real quick. In verse 29, we said for new and predestined were both heirs tense. You remember I told y'all what an heirs is? An heirs in Greek is a past tense. The same word for past tense, right? For heirs. But heirs got a little bit more to it. A air tense of time, it doesn't mean that something that's done in the past is not continuing. It doesn't guarantee that the verb is complete, but lets us know that the action took place in the past. God foreknew us in the past. Even though he foreknew us, that don't mean he stopped foreknowing us, not knowing us. Or he continued to know it for, or for, for, knowing, for knowing us or knew us. That he continued loving us. God's predestined us in the past, right? But he continued predestining us. He continued doing these things. So the error tense lets us know, even though God has done something in the past in our life, doesn't mean he's not continued doing it. So this is not just a, complete, a simple past tense. I won the football game. Well, I won the football game. That might have happened in the past. But now I'm not still playing the football game. The task is complete. I won the game. The game happened in the past. It's complete. But what it's doing with this error tense is that when God has renewed us and God predestined us, even though he have done these things in the past, he actually continued to do it. This is part of this already but not yet. When Jesus said, my kingdom come, he said, I bring in my kingdom. We are in his kingdom, right? This is the kingdom of God. The church is meeting. We are part of God's heavenly kingdom right now. We are having a foretaste of heaven. But this is not the fully realized kingdom. The fully realized kingdom is that we're going to get rid of all this old flesh. I'm going to get my hairline back, right? We're going to get all those things back in our youthfulness. You know, y'all always run and jump. And y'all can't hang, jump and run like that no more. We're going to get all that back with our new bodies. But right now, our spiritual body that's in us right now, that are believers, we're already tasting this new kingdom. But our physical bodies is not redeemed yet. So this is already but not yet kingdom. But right now, we're truly united in Christ. But God is still preparing us to be much more. So God has called us, which he called us in the past, but he continued to call us now. We never go back into being uncalled. But we get a continuous reminder of the calling through Christ daily. Just like he foreknew us, but now he still foreknow us. And he's continued to love us. So he has continued to call us that we can't ignore because the spirit desire creates a desire in us to
to receive this call. So bring the second point. So what does it mean for God calling us? What does it really mean? For God calling us. Jump back into our text. And those whom he predestined also called. So what is the word actually called? Kids, we're not talking about calling somebody on the phone. I have described call many times in the past, but let me give a definition for the word call. Sometimes someone can be called, right? A name to refer to the proper name or something, right? That city is called Wapaseka, Arkansas. That little small town is called Crossit, Arkansas. That big city is called Palm Bluff, Arkansas. That big zebra, right? That big zebra is called zebra. So you can call someone a proper name you can call. Let's call her Miss Kathy. That's the word called. You can name, have to kind of name something. Also call can mean to summon someone. Tell that person to come. And gather. Call can be also to invite or offer invitation to someone. So again, one way that we're called is saying, this is called Bethlehem, or this is called Emmanuel. Another way called is using someone to be summoned, someone. Tell a person to come and gather. We see this in Matthew 22, 14. For many are called, before, but few are chosen. Paul, a servant of Jesus, Jesus Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Set apart for the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be the saints together. Or these holy ones together, where all those who are in every place call upon the name of the Lord. Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those with whom are called and chosen and faithful. They're called and summoned. They're summoned to something. Look at our contest today. You remember we were talking about Paul dealing with the desires of the flesh. Paul said, the more I want to do good, I keep doing wrong. The struggle, the flesh back and forth. And so we get to come to the conclusion that this call is the summon to remind Paul that look what you have been called to. This call has two natures to it. God summons or tells someone to come here. And when they call, they can't resist him. We see two natures of this call. When somebody's called, right, to be holy, they're called to be set apart, they're called to be a part of the, the unified body of believers. But also another part of this call is that they can't resist it. They cannot resist this call. We'll talk about this shortly. This call is effectual. This call is effectual. This is not a call that we can just say no to. This is a call that is only done by the Spirit. And we'll talk about that here shortly. So let's see the two natures of the, uh, the call in scriptures. The first nature of this call, God summoned someone. This call is exactly what we see happen in Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Looking at verse 18 to 22. While well, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter. That's the name Peter. Some of that said called Peter. That's a different call. And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their net, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat, and Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and, called, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and they and there their father and followed him. So this call right here that Jesus called out to them, these disciples are out there fishing for some bread and crappie. And Jesus called them, and what did they do? They followed him. 
dropped the net, and they followed after Jesus. Jesus called them, and they followed after him. Another picture is in John 1, 35 to 48. Look at verse 35 in John chapter 1. The next day, again, John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he, was, as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him saying this, and they followed Jesus. The two of the other disciples followed Jesus. Jump down to verse 43 in John chapter 1. The next day Jesus decided to go into Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And you keep on going down to verse 45. You find out that Nathaniel and follow me. We see Matthew and John lets us know that Jesus called his disciples by telling them to follow him. And they followed after him. He called them and they followed after him. His calling was for them to follow him, to be his disciples. This call only for those that was followed to follow after Jesus. Not everybody got this special calling. Only those who the Father has set out for himself got this special calling. And that's why I read earlier about Paul. He was called to be an apostle. Uh, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul was actually, before he was apostle, right, he was on his way to Damascus to go kill Christians. And the Lord stopped him in his track and blinded him. And the Lord took that heart of stone away and gave him a heart of flesh. And the Lord called him to be an apostle. And the same way for all of us here that are believers. We're on our way to do the things of this world. Right? Even though we thank our parents, our mom, our dad, our cousins, and brothers, whoever took us to church, and we heard the gospel, and now we're believers. I love my mom, love my grandma, love all my family. But my mom didn't save me. My grandma didn't save me. My cousins didn't save me. None of them saved me. But what truly has saved me was Christ and what Christ has done. And so Christ was the one that called me, and I'm thankful for them. But Christ called me, he called you that are believers, he have called all of us. This is not a general call. This is not a general call for everybody, right? This is only a unique call because that's why everybody haven't turned to Christ. Only those that have turned to Christ, her Christ has created a heart. And I know we probably feel like, well, I did that decision. I made the decision. Again, how can a dead person make a decision? If we're dead in our sins and our trespass in Ephesians 2, how can a dead person say, God, I want you? But it said what God has done. When we were dead in our trespasses, he was the one, right? What's the thing you call? KJ not here to help me. What's the thing? You bring somebody to life? AED. Boom, boom, you're dead, right? Boom, ba boom, right? It, it brings you to life, right? Christ, we were dead. There was no life, no heartbeat in this. When, when I say this, though, real quick, is that I'm not talking about physically, right? You can go shoot a basketball. You can run around and still be alive physically, right? But you were dead spiritually. You were truly dead spiritually. But when Christ, right? When Christ gave life, and you probably say, yeah, I believe. I put my faith in Christ. You might feel like you did that. But you couldn't do that apart from Christ bringing you already to life for you to be able to make that particular decision. It was Christ doing it. And that's what happened with the disciples. I mean, they, they was out there catching these fish, right? They was out there catching fish. They was out there fishing. And they leave everything on the boat. And you all said they even left the dead. They left everything to follow after Jesus. John the Baptist, one of the greatest teachers, right, at this time. That's right. John the Baptist, one of the greatest teachers. They even leave John the Baptist and live following after Jesus. That let you know the calling what Jesus had, how he called to follow after him. The second nature. So we got this one call as this summon, like, to come. Another unique nature of this call, it is effectual. Effectual gets to the desire of being formed or created in us. This calling creates a desire for us wanting to follow him. We can see why in many Bible verses. This calling particularly for those 
that were for new and predestined. So he created this effectual heart in us. The heart that wants to follow after this call. One person said this, the official call to a sinner so overwhelms his nature and inclination to rebel that he willing to places his faith in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul referred to the official call when he writes, it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good pleasure, purpose. Again, that's Philippians 2 through 13. If you don't believe me, turn to Philippians 2 13. It says here, it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Who will and acts in us? Who does it? It's God. God is the one who does it. And the person goes on and says this, the necessity of the festival call is emphasized in Jesus' words. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him, sent me, draws him. Draws them. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father sent me, draws them. How do we come to Jesus? He draws us to himself. He calls us, then he draws us to himself. And he creates a new heart in us to want him. For those that he draws to himself to bring to him, they have a heart that want him. They have a heart that want to that wanna do everything. They want to lose everything in this world to follow after Jesus. They want to lose everything in this world, even the cell phones. They want to lose everything in this world to follow after Jesus. Lose friends. Lose all those folks around them that doesn't want the things of God. They're willing to lose it all for the sake of Jesus. Well, let me give you an example of somebody that said they believe. Might have walked down the aisle. Let me give you an example of somebody that said all the right things. They said they believe, but over time it showed you that they didn't believe. They were called for the general call. It wasn't a salvific call or a, a, a salvational call because their heart didn't want the things of God. Who do we know as an example of this? It's Judas. Judas followed Jesus, right? But not for Jesus he followed him. He followed Jesus in the words of Mr. Danger for the bag. He followed Jesus for his own selfish games. For the money bag. He followed Jesus for the wrong reason. So even though they called him the gospel proclamation, as we share the gospel to the world, and many may come, it's going to be many that truly are not going to be believers. They're going to be wolves and sheep calling. They're going to say all the right things, but they're truly lost. That's scary, isn't it? Some are coming part of churches, being a part of churches, and they're so far away from the Lord. That's what we saw with Judas. Judas was a part of this body of believers and disciples, but he truly was so far from them. His heart wasn't right. His heart wasn't new. He was lost. So a person that truly called to have a new heart. I like what our confession says here about this call. Well, let me say this first. This is what the confession says about a person like Judas. Others not elect, although they may be called by the ministry of the word and may have, have some common operation of the spirit. I'm talking about people like Judas. They have heard the word. Uh, although they may, they may be called by the ministry of the word, it may have come, uh, some common operation of the spirit. It may look like they had a spirit. They helped the poor. They did these certain things. They might look like these things yet not being effectually drawn by the Father, that neither would nor can truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men that do not receive the Christian religion be saved, be they never so diligent, so frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of the religion they do profess. Judas was not an elect, but was a wolf in sheep clothing. He was the one that was walking around the disciple. Everybody saw the disciple. Oh, he wanted them. Everybody thought he was a believer. 
But in actuality, he wasn't a believer. So he was called by a general call. A true call, a salvational call, and a believer responds to that call. Now their heart responds to that call. They want to live for Jesus. That's why I always say, if somebody say they're a believer, they can't keep, they can't keep up being faithful for so long. They don't have to do it for so long. They go, every day they're going to have to put makeup on every day to try to be something they're not. And next thing you know, they look up, they're in hell. But a person that truly know they need a savior, they truly know that they're in sin, for them, they know that because they have been truly called. For them knowing that only Christ can save them, only Christ can give them a new heart. For them see these beatitudes, right? This is my nature now. I'm poor in spirit now. Judas didn't have this, y'all. Judas didn't have this. But a true calling to Christ, Jesus is only given to those that the Father has already said before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And love and predestine us for adoption to himself as sons to Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. Those that are affectionately called are made holy and blameless. How do you know you're calling Jesus? You're living a holy life and you're blameless. People see you have integrity. This person has integrity. This person right here, this person, I can tell this person loves the Lord. This person, when nobody's around, I can just see this. I'm looking at this person out my window, and this person right here has the heart of Jesus. A lot of times, we spend so much time asking the person that they're a believer. Look at their lives. Look at their lives. Again, I can put a kangaroo in the ocean. Can a kangaroo, can a kangaroo spring, swim in the ocean? I don't know. I never looked at geographic. Mike can swim, man. I ain't checked that one out before I said that one, y'all. I don't know if a kangaroo can swim. But for the most part, a kangaroo will drown in the ocean. But I can throw a fish in the ocean. A fish can what? Can swim in the ocean. Because that's where it works. Because it's a fish. Where I can do it. And the same with a believer. A believer can live in a way that's honoring to the Lord, but they've got it by the Spirit. But a person that is saying they're called, but not living in the Spirit, it shows you that they're not truly called over time. And I'm not saying this professionalism that we're going to be perfect. Yes, we're totally perfect in Christ. But you have this type of inclination about you. I, I, I want to do right. I want to have peace with everybody around me. I want to be able to see everything around us looking like how Jesus called it to look. At work, around friends, around family, they should be able to see this thing you. Matthew 5. Well, let me say before there. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, might be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Those that have been officially called were given to the Son by the Father. Who they belong to? They belong to the Father. And the Father gave them to his Son. The ones you have given to me. It says it may be with me where I am. The Father has set them aside and turned the past. They didn't choose God first, but God chose them first. And they desire to change. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king would say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The kingdom was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Those that are called official are blessed by the father. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. How you know somebody is called by Jesus? They're called to a holy calling. To a holy calling. Well, Jesus called me. I'm a Christian now. No, he called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and his grace, which he got great, gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Again, our calling not based on our works, but based on his purposes and his grace. 
We will talk about that here in the last point. We're going to the last point here shortly. Uh, let me say a couple more things here in the second point. This call comes with holiness and redemption. It's not something that we can obtain in of ourselves, but only by the working of the Spirit. And the confession says this right here as well about this calling. This official call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at, at or all foreseen in man, nor from any power or agency in the creature, being wholly passive therein, being dead in sin and trespassing, to being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit. He is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it, and that by no less power than that which raised up Christ from the dead. Now, going back to our test today, that God has effectually called his broken people. It's encouraging for us as believers that are going through hard times. Paul just didn't tell us, just trying to throw theology out there. He told us that this is the right time. Family, you are called. There's no way I'm going to condemn you. No way I'm going to leave you. You're called. And that they can't resist, that you cannot resist this call. And that you should be able to bank your salvation on this call. When things that don't go as planned, you can be able to bank it on that Christ has called me. He has given me new desires. He has truly brought me within himself. I won't be condemned. So what happened? What happens is that we fight against the word of God and try to ignore God's word. And we forget this calling. And we put things in our own flesh and we start believing the things of the flesh. The flesh said we're not called. The flesh said that God has abandoned us. The flesh said we're out there. But the spirit said we're called. Who are you going to listen to? If we listen to the things of the flesh, we're going to continue in depression. Continue in anxiety. Continue in heartache. But we listen to the things in the spirit. We rest assured. That we're in the best hands. We're in the best hands. Our desire will be to honor him. Our desire to trust him. Knowing that the flesh would not win. But we must submit to those desires. To those new desires that God has created in us. We'll talk about those on the last point. Last point here. So what's the reason of this? Brother King, what's the reason for all this? Why God called us despite our brokenness. The ultimate reason why God called us is not for us to be happy. So if you heard that from Joe Augustine or some other theologian that's, I don't know about theologian, but somebody else out there, that God is doing all this for us to be happy, for us to be kind to people, for us to show self-control, we miss it, y'all. It's bigger than that. Because the unbelieving world do that. The unbelieving world. I have seen at times my dogs go do some things being helpful for me. Right around the yard. Anybody can be helpful. Right? Anybody can be kind. But being kind and helpful doesn't make you a believer. So the whole purpose of God calling you is just not to be kind. But not just to be happy. But the opening purpose is for worship. For God's glory. For God to be worshipped in every aspect of your life. Not just on Sunday morning. At work. Family reunions. At the dental office. At the, at the, at the dentist. Doctor visit. At, key, at home with the kids. At every single moment, God wants every single moment for him to be worshipped. So what is God doing? He creating us to be that person. For us to be the people that worship him at, at, at every second of our lives. He's, that's what he's doing in this. He's creating the people to worship him. Because we are still making things about ourselves, but he's creating the people that everything about us be about him. He had created us to worship him in spirit and truth. That's what Adam and Eve was created for, to worship and make everything about God, but they turned around and made it about themselves. 
And that's what we do today, fam. That's what we do. We make things about us. It's all about us. What I want out of God, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to be strong in my Christian walk as long as I get this. I'm going to be strong in my Christian walk as long as my Christian walk look this way. We come so demanding to God. But it should be for us to come to God in humility at all times. That God want us to be glorified because that is when everything about us will be for his glory and his glory alone. So going back to Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's desire is to us for us to be conformed to Christ and make us like Christ. His whole purpose of calling, not to just get a calling tattoo on my chest or on my arm that I'm called or oh, not that. The whole purpose of the calling is for us to worship God. And everything about us be about Christ and Christ alone. That everything about Christ is for glory, for his glory, for the Father's glory, and for the Spirit glory. But now the Son desires the same thing in us. That we exist for God's glory alone. And the catechism questions. Who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make you in all things? Glory. How can you glorify God? And why should you glorify God? The whole reason why we're here, family, is right here. These simple catechism questions. These couple of questions right here is the more important question that you can learn in any math or science class. Any class in school or any class in college, these right here, these foundational five questions of who made you, what else did God make? Why did God make you in all things? How can you glorify God? Why should you glorify God? All those questions point us to our existence that we exist to glorify God. For us to glorify Him, we must be conformed to Him. Going back to the verse that we discussed earlier. 2 Timothy 1.9 who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our work, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages. God saved us based upon his purpose and his grace. God didn't save us for us just to be happy. God saved for his own purpose. It is because of his will, not because of what we have done, but God cared more about his own glory. And he wanted to see his glory through our lives. That God must uphold his being over all things because he is the most holy, purest being existed. So how does God, so how does all this make, relate to uh, Romans 8.30? How does it make sense as we end? But if God ultimate goal in our lives is for us to worship him completely, God would not quit until he complete that. Did y'all hear me on this? If God ultimate glory for our lives to worship him, God would not quit until we become that. God doesn't quit a job and stop it. He's not like all of us. I know some of y'all quit jobs every week and start them back up. I ain't saying no name. But one thing about God here, when God starts something, he's going to finish it. If God started working us, guess what he's going to do in us? going to finish us. Thank you, theologian. You will. God is going to finish us. The job is not like our jobs for God. This job that he has is not too much for him. God is not overwhelmed with his job. The job pay is not causing him to reconsider what he set out to do. God has already started conforming us and he would not stop because he don't understand quitting. Only thing he understands is finishing what he set out to do. He's not doing it for better pay. He's doing it for his own glory. 
Nor is it going to stop based upon our brokenness or our continued failures that I continue messing up left and right, left and right. That doesn't mean God is going to stop his job. If God started a job and called you to himself, he's not going to stop that calling because you're messing up. Because what, what would that say? That said, now the job is too big for God. And he's God. That's one thing about being God in the words of Miss Kathy that he's all omnipotent. He's all powerful. If he truly all powerful, that God would not allow this job to be too much for him. So if God has called us, family, if you're discouraged this morning, you feel like you're continually, uh, you're continually uh, falling short, you're continually saying bad things to your children or into it with a spouse or or to job you're saying things you shouldn't say at the job family god started the job to conform to the image of the son he will finish the job even when you feel like he has stopped so be encouraged here your calling is effectual so family this further encourages us to assure us in christ since god called us he's not gonna let us go he's gonna keep us so lastly, how do you know you called? Last question here. I talked about this earlier in the second point. Let me end the last one. How do you know you truly called? Are you called because, hey, my brother called, my cousin called, my mama called? How do you know you called? It says in John 1, 12, 13. Thank you, Ms. Kent. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, or the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. How you know they're called? They're born again. They're truly born again. If you're not living, having new desires now in God and his worship and his glory, and your desires are still the things of this world and making things about you, family. That's when you need to consider, like, am I truly born again? Those that are born again, yes, they mess up. But they, 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 they are continually in repentance and prayer. They continue reconciling. 2 Peter 3-11, read it earlier. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, who called us to his own glory and excellence. Called to his glory. How you know you called? Do you want his glory? Do you seek after his glory? Do you want to praise him and worship him? Do you desire that? Or you desire only things you want? As long as God gives you what you want, right? That's the time you glorify him. Family, that's not glorifying God. If all the time you're seeking God because God giving you what you want. You know different from Aladdin and the little thing, he rubbed the thing three times, right? And he gets what he wants. That's no difference. But a truly person that's called by God, they love God regardless of what God gives them. You see it in how they live. It's a family. The last verse we see here. In this. We see it also in 2 Peter, the end of 2 Peter 3, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfaithful in the knowledge of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blinded, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brother, be all the more diligent to conform your calling and election, for if you practice this quality, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance to the eternal kingdom 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it look like in a calling? Do you love your brother beside you? Do you love your sister behind you or around you? Are you kind to them? Are you showing self-control? Are you steadfast? Are you living a life of godliness? It's a brotherly affection you're showing to each other. How do we look towards each other? Ah, here go Mr. Jerry. Here goes O. If you don't have a heart of affections to see a brother and to encourage and build a brother up, you miss this. If you have an affection to, to be with your sisters and your brother in Christ and to build one another up, Because this calling is effectual. Now it creates new desires in us. If trust true to calling us, I want to be around my brothers and sisters. I want them to pour into my life. I want to encourage them. I want to walk with them. I want to sing on a Sunday morning to edify my brothers and sisters. I want to be able to build one another up. You see it in your life. Let me end with an application. Uh, Miss, uh, Miss Shaquille blinking at me. Remember that our calling is not conditional. That Christ didn't call us, then leave us when things are not looking pretty in our lives. But Christ has still called us when things doesn't add up. Remember that calling from Christ comes with the holiness and desires. Remember that call, call, Christ, remember that the calling from Christ comes with the holiness and new desires. If someone says they are called or following Christ, but the desires are still of the world, I'm not convinced that they are now no different than Judas. A person that has truly called in Christ is going to desire to look like Christ. And lastly, for those that are called, they can look forward to their glorious days. The desire would match the glorious sight of being before the Lord for eternity. The Lord is going to give us new eyes and new bodies to want him forevermore. Amen. 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 Let me uh let me pray for us as we end.